let's imagine that this virus is in the most strange of ways, in the most strange and unusual of ways, benevolent. That ultimately, it's trying to get us to do certain things to correct our behavior in certain ways, to create change and transformation in certain ways that ultimately are going to lead to the progress of the human race. Now that's a heavy concept when part of the cost that's being paid here is human life. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. What is the real addiction this pandemic is forcing us to face? When your world suddenly stops, what's the most inspired way to get it started again? And why should you start with meditation every day? And I say you should. Well, in this episode, my guest, Tommy Rosen and I, Tommy's the founder of Recovery 2.0, and he and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Tommy's one of the reasons I love living in Los Angeles. Now, I first met Tommy years ago when the Conscious Music Band that I was managing at the time, we were first coming to LA and we performed in his spacious living room for about 150 beautiful, brilliant, and talented Los Angeles peeps. And I've since come to know Tommy as a deeply wise man. He's actually a renowned kundalini yoga teacher, which I tried kundalini yoga a few times and decided immediately I didn't like it until I did a three-day workshop where Tommy taught kundalini yoga twice a day, morning and evening for all three days. And I just went with it. Why not? I'm there. Let's do it. I was astonished to find that three days later, my neck and my back felt free of strain and pain for the first time in years. And ever since then, I've actually incorporated into my morning practice a simple breathing practice that I learned from Tommy that weekend that continues to make my body and mind feel better every day. Now, I've actually wanted to get Tommy on Men This Way since I first conceived of this whole podcast idea, but it just didn't come together. And Tommy and his wife, Kia Miller, who is another world-renowned yogi in her own right, they travel incessantly. But actually, I was inspired, re-inspired, I should say, to re-invite Tommy to the podcast just last week after reconnecting with him on a quarantine-inspired Zoom call with a few friends. Because on that call, he said a few things that deeply resonated with me about how he's experiencing this great time of what I would consider global shutdown and personal upheaval. And we'll dive into what he said and into our conversation and, and unpack that for you. I think it's really, really profound. But the last thing I wanna say about Tommy, he's also a survivor of addiction. And he has actually become a world-renowned leader in the realm of addiction recovery. He is the founder and host of an incredibly successful 
online conference series that has impacted men and women all over the world for, gosh, I don't know, many, many years now. It's called Recovery 2.0 Beyond Addiction. He leads Recovery 2.0 retreats and workshops internationally. He presents regularly at yoga conferences and festivals. And his first book, Recovery 2.0, Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life, was published by uh, one of my favorite publishers, Hay House, in October 2014. He was also recently a featured guest on Russell Brand's podcast, under the skin. It's a philosophic conversation, but you know, I do my best with all of these conversations to ground what we're saying in practical application that can make a meaningful difference to actually serve you in your daily life. And, and I believe that we accomplish that here. So if you have any feedback on this episode, please feel free to email me at brianreeves.com. Remember, it's brian with a Y at brianreeves.com. I see your email directly, and I would love to hear from you about it. And of course, if you have something great to say, please leave a review on your podcast app. Your words really make a huge difference as to whether more people will listen to the podcast. So I really appreciate your help. And those of you that have already left reviews, I can't tell you how grateful I am. So thank you. So definitely stay tuned for Tommy's five Key takeaways, the quarantine edition at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Tommy Rosen, my friend, welcome to Men This Way. Thank you, Brian, so much for having me. It's a long time in coming, man. It has. It's been a minute we've been talking about this. We've been talking about this for a minute and boy, but what a perfect minute to actually do this very unique moment we find ourselves in right now. I'm really excited about the conversation that we get to have because of the context within which we're having it. And, and when we were on that, our friend Zoom call last week, I was where I first learned that actually you had just come back to India. You had the last plane out. What, what happened there? Tell me about that. It's a very interesting situation because I was separated from Kia, my wife. I'm in Southern India and I'm on a, on a health retreat of, of all the ironic places to be during a, a pandemic breaking out. I'm literally in a, a cloistered village in southern India, completely cut off, really, from the outside world, taking potions and concoctions of health and being massaged every single day by these doctors, these Ayurvedic doctors. And meanwhile, Kia is in northern India, and she's leading a group of 45 people who have flown to India to train with her. And these 45 people represented, I think, nine countries. So there we are. And if you can put yourself back a couple of weeks, it's March 18th, 17th in there. We'd already been there a month and things were heating up. And we knew that we had a plane home, which we had booked four months previous. We knew we had a plane home on United Airlines from New Delhi, India, nonstop all the way to San Francisco. And then we would connect home to LA from there. And the whole time, like at first we're like, oh, well, it's no problem. You know, our plane clearly will fly. And then all of a sudden, the government of India says, on March 22nd, no more international flights are allowed into the country. So no more planes can land. Our plane takes off on March 22nd. We're thinking to ourselves, does our plane <laughs> land in India before the 22nd? Or, or what, what are we dealing with? So as fate would have it, our plane was slated to land in New Delhi to pick us up, to pick everybody up. Wow. Uh -huh. On March 21st at 11.30 p.m., half an hour 
before the deadline. It actually landed, thank God. And then we got on the flight and we took off from New Delhi at 2.50 in the morning, 2.50 a.m. on March 22nd. We were the last flight out of India. Incredible. Was that a full plane of people? Oh my God. It was full and it was that, that intense energy of people who are scared, uh, rest, and really, really want to get somewhere from somewhere else. I'm just picturing in my head, I've been to India a few times in the trains and you see it in the movies. I just see people sticking out of the airplane windows, like it's packed to the brim. People are riding on the wings out of that place. Like It's funny when I first heard that you had the last plane out of India, there was a part of me was like, oh, you know, well, I've been to India. India is amazing. You guys love India. It's like, that's not a bad place to sort of wait out this pandemic. And then, and then I thought, wait a second. India has more people than any place on earth. They're crawling. I mean, it's a bit hyperbolic, but they're, they're, you can't social distancing in India. Are you kidding me? Like, and now to see what's actually happening there. Oh my goodness, man. Within 48 hours of getting home, there was a complete and total shutdown of the country. Each individual state shut down. There was actually an issue. The prime minister issued a order for people to actually stay inside. I asked myself, how do 1.3 billion people who don't, many of whom don't have homes, some, many, many because of homelessness, but many others just simply live outside. And so what a situation. Right. We can only imagine in the United States, we're having our own version of this. In Europe, they're having their version of this. In India, they're having their version of this. China, et cetera. Everybody's having their, their culture and their society is interacting with this issue in a variety of different ways. It's very fascinating. Obviously, it's terrifying for some. Every emotion, I think every emotion that you could feel, we have felt. And at the time you and I are having this conversation, I know some people will be listening to this on the other side. Well, if there is another side of this, but we're just getting started. This is just, we're, what are we, April 1st. Today's April 1st, 2020 that we're, we're talking. And the thing though I wanna talk about, or at least start our conversation with, You said something that has been near and dear to me. On our call last week with our friends, you acknowledged something that what this meant for you that really spoke deeply to a theme that I've been playing with as well in my life. But would you restate what you said and what did you mean by it? So I think you're referring to this idea that this is a time to stop. And so almost every class I ever begin, we begin by stopping. And there's a wonderful yoga teacher who along with his then wife, Mati Azradi. This is Chuck Miller, who I'm speaking about. And, and he used to start his classes by saying, okay, we start by stop. And that's where I first heard that. And I like it. And it makes a lot of sense to me. We're entering into, let's just say we're entering into a sacred space. You could say the beginning of a yoga class is you're entering into a sacred space. You could say each morning when you wake up out of bed, you're entering into a sacred space. Every meal. Could be each meal with your partner, perhaps, or family, or by yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Every moment is, has the potential for us to bring the sacred to it. And this moment is certainly, especially, no different. So if we can personify this virus for a minute, what is this virus trying to get us to do? We all think the virus is trying to perpetuate itself. That's what living organisms do. They perpetuate themselves. Okay. Well, let's just, just be playful. And let's just imagine that that's not the purpose. Let's imagine that this virus is in the most strange of ways, in the most strange and unusual of ways, benevolent. That ultimately, 
It's trying to get us to do certain things to correct our behavior in certain ways, to create change and transformation in certain ways that ultimately are going to lead to the progress of the human race. Now that's a heavy concept when part of the cost that's being paid here is human life. Which we can't escape anyway. I mean, that's coming for us all anyway. We know, we know that yes, people are going to die anyway. But since we're speaking about personifying this virus, and I'm, I'm suggesting just as an exercise, what if this virus is actually benevolent, even though it doesn't appear that way to us on the surface because it's so frightening and because it's, it's threatening our current, well, it's threatening some people's lives. And in the bigger sense, it's threatening our current society, mm-hmm. the structure of our society, the structures within our society are being challenged, mm-hmm. our economic system. Certainly, our political system. Our and just for the and just just for the sake of our of our listenership, because I'm totally enrolled. I buy into the world as a friendly. This is a friendly universe. Mm. Doesn't mean that there isn't suffering and pain and hurt and all of that stuff. But that's part of the totality, the whole experience. What else we come here for? But to experience it all. So yes. I, I'm enrolled. Let's keep going because I can. I'm sure that there are some people listening that are thinking, okay benevolent virus that wants to kill me, that wants to, okay, well, let's, where, where's, where are we going with this? Right. Well, the virus doesn't want to kill you. Right. That's, that's not how the virus works. If the virus kills you, the virus dies. <laughs> that's right. That's a great point. That's, that's right. not what it's all about. It's not even in its own interest to kill no. us. That's right. We often look at a virus, like in, in computer terms, we look at a virus as something that is, is going to ruin good coding. We had an intention we created a software. The virus goes into the software and it messes it up and it, it blows what our intention was. In a sense, we're in the same situation. We've created a situation in our world. In point of fact, and I'm sure there are some people that think very, very, very differently than I do, but I think that there must be a great majority of people on the planet alive today who have thought, God, we. We really need to change. Like no, no matter what your political position is, your economic situation, your, your color, your race, your creed, your gender, all of that aside, every one of us human beings has at some point thought, wow, how are we going to work this out? How are we actually going to get through these challenges? Because to my simple mind, I can't see my way through to the solution. Okay, so in comes the virus, almost like answering a prayer. One way that we all have thought in the back of our mind, one way we've thought change was going to happen was through unbelievably violent war, revolution. When we think about the massive change that has to take place on this planet, how are we all going to come? Well, the way that we used to do things, 20th century and, and, and back, was through violence. Oh, you, you want to affect change? Okay, violence, revolution, coup, force. And now we're united. We're united with a common enemy common enemy is this virus. People are thinking more in terms of human beings now than they are in terms of nations. I want to just say something because there are still, again, it's April 1st, it's early in this dance, and there are a lot of people still holding out with the, the, the kind of uh, divisive, there are a lot of people that are still not united. If I can love something about a virus, the thing that I love about what's happening is this virus doesn't give a damn what your beliefs are, it doesn't give a damn what your politics are. It doesn't give a damn what conspiracy theories you buy into. It is going to affect, you know, one out of three fucking people on this planet. Well, it's, it's going to affect everybody on this planet. So from that position, we, I would say more people 
than that certainly in this moment, more people are thinking about each other, trying not to spread the virus to each other, thinking on at least on a national level, okay, well, we won't need to protect the people who are around us. But I think we're also thinking internationally, like, isn't it interesting what's going on in Europe, what's going on in, in, in all these different places? So I think there's a, a global perspective, for one thing, as a result of this current situation. Now, I started out by saying, you know, there's a benevolence to this, this thing, this virus. And the benevolence is, of course, correction. If we continue down a violent path, the amount of death, the amount of pain, the amount of suffering that would take place would so completely dwarf what's happening because of this virus, it would dwarf it. I mean, the, the unbelievable pain. So, so I think what this is, is an easier, softer way toward change. Now, let's look at how we've already been changed right now. In the last, let's just say last 30 days, we are unified in an effort to not spread this thing. We are being made to slow down, have to. Our busyness and the addiction to having have to a great extent for most people calmed. We're being asked to go home. And what I take away from that is not that we're being asked to be in a home space like a house or an apartment, but we're, we're being asked to go home. Home with a capital H, a heart with a capital H, and we're being asked to slow down, to be quiet, to pay attention. Just the exercise, imagine the exercise of not touching your face. That requires tremendous awareness that you have to wake up from subconscious patterning of, you know, picking your teeth or picking your nose or rubbing your eye or like fixing your hair. Like all of a sudden you have to be more aware. Yeah, I've, I've given myself coronavirus probably 10 times over in just the last hour. <laughs> and, on a, on a, and before it would have been 20 times, you know, I'm... If it happened to be on your hands or <laughs> yeah. it was alive and whatever. Yeah, sure. yeah. So we're being asked to go home, to be still, to spend time either with ourselves or with whomever else is in our home, our family or our loved ones, our children, our parents. And we're being asked to become more aware, more quiet, more introspective. And as a yogi and a, a, a teacher of yoga and meditation, and I, I just hope that people begin to get this, to really get that this is not about me being a teacher of yoga and meditation, but yoga and meditation are a really good idea for everybody. Like, this is not like, oh, this is good for this person, but not good for that person. Like, anything that helps your body to process toxins out of your body, anything that helps your mind to process mental toxins out of your mind, these are good ideas. Anything that leads to your calming and less anxiety, less fear, less worry, these are good ideas. Anything that promotes better thinking, clearer thinking, intuitive capability, these are good ideas. And now, because of this virus, these things are happening more than they used to. They are. And I'm also aware that like what you're saying is beautiful. And I'm also aware that in our homes still, there are so many distractions. This is really important. And one of the things that we'll, I want to talk to you about is practice, actual practice. But I want to, something else that you said, this might be a good segue into that. Something else that you said on our phone call, you actually were quoting uh, Michael Beckwith, who I think was in India with you. And he said something about, forget about saving the system, is broken. And instead, what, what he was really saying was serve what's coming. And the way he put it was serve the emerging paradigm. If you have a broken economic, broken political, broken healthcare, and broken education system, why would you put your energy into keeping it 
alive in exactly the same way that it was. I'm not saying kill it. I'm not saying revolt against it. I'm just saying be present to what's coming and serve that. That's what I took from what Reverend Michael was saying. And he, he just lit it up. He always lights it up. Let's elaborate on this because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to get abstract and philosophical. And I want to try to, to ground it in, in, you know, our everyday practical reality, whatever the hell that means, but as much as possible. But, but I really get the distinction there is it's not about let's tear down what exists. I mean, hell, the coronavirus is doing that for us. I mean, the economy, like what's happening right now. And it's, isn't it interesting to hear these pretty much exclusively older white men argue for flip the switch back on who cares if a whole bunch of people die we need to get the numbers up we need to get the the output needs to get going where it's really just fascinates me and so in any case that i don't have to take on those voices again the coronavirus is going to do its thing it's like perfectly designed even if we if we rush through this to try to get back to the old paradigms too quickly it's just going to do the job (laughs) it's going to destroy us at an even deeper level so serving what is emerging like how do you do that what is emerging even like this stop everything's being ground to a halt what what's coming what's next give you a concrete example right from now everyone who teaches yoga well everyone is a uh, an exaggeration what we've seen is an explosion of free and donation-based yoga classes online since this thing broke out. We've seen an orientation towards serving and towards service more than I've ever seen before. We've seen speakers, authors, teachers, writers, nutritionists, life coaches, educators, thought leaders in every field come forward and say, I'm presenting something to you and it's free. And it's not part of a big five-year plan either to grow a business or to do, it's like in this moment, this is how I serve. Well, there you go. So, so you asked, yeah. what's coming? Yeah. This is what's coming. We will orient toward helping each other. We will have to shift our economic system in a way. Again, I'm not saying... You throw the whole thing away. Within what is, we have to shift. This is a reprioritization. This is a reallocation of finding ways to share wealth. That's why we call it a commonwealth, because there's commonwealth. I'm not suggesting a communistic approach. I'm suggesting an allocation of funds and a, 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 an approach, a, reorient, a reorientation towards service that has been unprecedented in our culture to this point. Early in the 20th century, a law was passed in the United States which gave corporations the same legal rights as individuals. That was a terrible mistake. And we have paid the price for that mistake for the last 100 plus years. Laws like that have to be pulled back. They have to be reframed, rewritten to support the Commonwealth. Corporations that are making a tremendous amount of money have to support the rest of society. Not not single-handedly, but they have to contribute. And and so you'd say, well, there's a tax system for that. Well, not exactly. (laughs) Yes, but no, it isn't working. 
So there has to be an orientation at the level of corporations and at the level of systems, at civic governance and state and federal governance. There has to be a way for us to get into the discussion for how we're going to deal with the growing economic problem in our society. Even before this was going on, we have an enormous divide between peoples who have and peoples who don't have in our society. Now with Corona, this is what I mean by, by serving the emerging paradigm. The emerging paradigm is not emerging. It's here now. It's here right now. How are we going to support the millions of Americans, just in this country, the millions of Americans who are out of job all of a sudden? The who knows how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of companies that are going to go bankrupt. We can look at that as an unbelievable tragedy. Oh my God, we'll never get through this. Or we can put our mind towards the solutions and say, okay, what's the opportunity here? What's needed is people helping people. We're going to have to create ways for people to do that. That is going to create new jobs. That is going to lead into an orientation of service, and that is going to solve this problem. It this really is, is reorient. I like. I love that word orientation. Oriented, you know, because even as as a man myself, it's like I've looking back on my life, I've felt as like I know what disoriented feels like. Just meaning I don't know what the fuck I'm serving. Where am I going? What am I using my skills for? You know, I was in the military. I didn't really enjoy the orientation that I was given there. It didn't, it didn't align deeply with me and just other, other things. And I think this word oriented, because we're oriented towards something, whether it's, you know, in, in, in our country, it's been money, largely profit motive, you know, bottom line, numbers. And I think what, what I do, what I find so just wildly fascinating about this, this pandemic moment is it is here we are, even those of us that don't believe or think we'll, we're not sick in the moment or we don't think we don't think we will get sick, whatever, there is an invitation and even a almost a, it's becoming more and more a requirement. We need to care about grandma or the worker that we, you know, who might get sick if we don't, you know, the coworker or the, or the family member, or it's like, we're being required to care about our neighbor in ways that I have not really experienced in my lifetime. Well, that's an awakening. It is. And that awakening comes at the hands of a virus. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, and so that's why I say, we can look at this virus and from all different perspectives. We can run in fear from it and we can pretend like it's the boogeyman and it's going to get everybody, which it isn't. We can look at it in realistic terms. We, we do need to stem its uh, spread. We do need to practice these, these practices of social distancing, you know, extra hygiene, really paying attention and taking care of ourselves for however many months it takes so that we can save lives and make this less painful for everybody. But again, it's like, you know, if we're all doing that and if everybody, you know, really, really does what's necessary for as long as it takes, then we're going to move into a place where the next right thing, we may not do it because we don't always do the next right thing, but at least the next right thing will be present. And the next right thing for me, again, is going to have to do with serving people, helping people get on their feet, giving people opportunities. This is the rest of us who have means, who have privilege, who have money and support are going to have to help people who don't. Not out of some savior complex, 
but more out of we're together in this. We have to serve each other. And if there's someone out there that needs, then let's figure out a way to get them what they need. It's like such a unique time because even just take the whole renter landlord situation. Mm. Landlords can't just evict people who can't pay rent right now because there's no one there to take the place. It's against the law anyway. And it's against the law, but it would also just be against common sense because there's no one to fucking take their place. There's like everyone is being affected at every level that there is this sort of, there's this fascinating, come back to that pause, that stop, that screeching halt to the old momentum of something has to be done. I have to do something. I have to get the numbers right, you know, work on that. The numbers don't write, then I need to exorcise, cut out whatever's not working and replace it with something that will. And like that, that whole paradigm is at least for the moment is just stopped to a dead halt. So we, we stop before we start. I love it. And And that's what it has to be. And let me ask you then, because, you know, I'm one of those coaches in the world that my business has already been online for many years and I'm, I'm very well suited to sort of take this moment and run with it. And it's so easy to do that from the old paradigm of, well, oh my God, something's happening. I have to take advantage of it. I have to notice I have to, I have to serve. I got to write. I have to write the thing. I have to create the thing. I have to offer the thing. I have to, oh my God. I don't like, that just seems like uh, that saying is like rearranging my furniture inside the prison cell. (laughs) So what's the next immediate practice or step? How do I know what to offer, what to do? Well, you spend a little bit of time. I don't want this to sound simplistic. The American mentality is about problem solving which is not a bad mentality to have. And to be really, really good at it, one has to balance thought, contemplation, meditation with action. You wanna make sure that the strategy you're employing to solve a particular problem is based in number one, truthfulness, inclusivity, and you really, really wanna be good at it. You want it to be successful. You want to develop skill. So the reason that we're being asked to stop right now is to begin to lay the foundation for making better decisions individually and as a collective. You can make better decisions from a calmer place. Every, nobody, I don't think anyone in the world would refute that. We can make better decisions, more effective strategies from a calmer place. So that means that we have to work on being calm. In the face of this difficulty, which is huge, for some people, they're losing people who are close to them. And so there's grief and loss involved in their life. And it's very painful. So I'm not discounting the extraordinary situations that people are going through. Also, there are are healthcare workers right now who are working 20 hours a day, putting themselves at risk to help prevent the loss of life down the road. And so I'm also aware of these people. These people are already serving the emerging paradigm. They're ahead of the curve. They're in positions of service and they're doing it. What we do is we have to sit still and develop a practice every day. I call it a morning practice. In yoga, we use the word sadhana. It just means a practice that puts you in touch with yourself first. You calm down, you learn how to breathe, you learn how to meditate. I'm talking about initially maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes later on. And when you fall in love with it, maybe it's an hour of your morning. But at first, just 20 minutes, Learn a technique. There are so many. There are so many teachers. You can take class with me any given morning, 8.30 a.m. Pacific, <laughs> or, a, or 100 or 1,000 other teachers. Where, where would they take that class with you? 
Oh, uh, you can you can join our classes. You you would sign in at r20.com forward slash yoga today. Okay, r20, and that'll be in the show notes if you can't write this down right now. Yeah, so you come and you practice. Create a foundation of stability. Calm down. Break through the need to do and to have. These times require a contraction. These are not expansive times. These are times where we need to come back into the cave. We need to look within. We need to calm down and not be in a, you know, like knee-jerk reaction to every fear that your mind can drum up will drive you to places you don't want to go. So if we're going to be skillful about this, let's start with ourselves as individuals and let's get control of this. For me, the orientation with yoga, which is obviously a part of my story, and the reprioritization of this time says to me, one hour a day, I can give an experience to people that can make a sincere difference in their day. And I feel a sense of duty to do it. It doesn't cost anything. People are donating, which is wonderful, but you don't have to. That's what I can do. That's enough. If someone calls me and they ask for help, I will help them if I can. That's enough. Anything else? At this time of contraction, for me, is too much. I have to take care of myself as well. And so for me, there's my practice, there's my diet, there's walking outside in nature, which I'm blessed to be able to do every day. There's connecting with my wife, and then a, a series of people that I love dearly that I get to speak to on the phone and go through this thing together. If I have a thought, an ambitious thought about how I'm gonna build my business sometime in the future, I try to catch it right away and say, Tommy, you know what? This is not the moment for that thought. You figure that out later. This is not the time right now. Calm down. Be still. If I have an ambitious thought about some kind of massive creative thing that needs to happen and, oh, I recognize now that, you know, because of this virus, I see like this, this thing and that thing. Tommy, take it down. Sit down on your butt. Close your eyes. Start breathing deeply. Connect with the center. Come home. Obey. Obey the calling of this moment. Don't fight. Don't argue with anybody. Just obey the quiet and the silence of this moment. And if you do that, I have a great faith. If we could all do that, I have an unbelievable faith that we're going to move forward, learn the lessons of this time, and come out better than we went in. Ah, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm reminded of a distinction I work with a lot, uh, the difference between inspired action versus anxious action. Inspired action mm. versus anxious action. Anxious action is that yeah. I have to do it. I need to do it. If I don't do it, something bad will happen. And I can do that all day fucking mm. long. I've lived a lifetime that way. And it's just, you know, God, man, it's what a, what a, what a stressful way to live, whatever the results. Mm. And inspired action, it really does require me to first stop, to be still for a moment, to breathe, to check in, Whew, like a snow globe. Let all those, let all those wild, crazy, ambitious, anxious thoughts—the have tos, the need tos, the shoulds—all that settle and subside. And that that takes that can that can take a, a minute or an hour or a couple of days, yes, <laughs> or a, three months of quarantine to yes. Well. I think uh, it's really important for, for all of us to understand that we influence each other. And this is such an important point at this time. 
I can't speak to somebody who's very, very anxious and not take on a little bit of that or yeah. react to it totally in some way. Because I recognize as a human being, I'm, or without having to take on that fear or that anxiousness, but I recognize that, yeah, you know, the ambition and the doing and the having and the, we've got to grow and we've got to be this and we've got to be that. I recognize that that is a phenomenon in our world, very much so in the Western world particularly, and that we're all in it. We all feel in it. Almost everybody that I ever connect with feels a part of that because we're influencing each other and there's a collective consciousness of that. Well, now there's a different collective consciousness and I think we have a choice. And so I remember, you know, having a conversation with a friend and this friend is very, very, very anxious, very intense in their energy. And I'm not that anxious and I'm not that intense in this moment. And what I recognize is, is it bothers them that I'm not caught up in the same way or I don't share the same level of concern. And, what I, and, and we talk about that. And what I say is, well, I'm very concerned for the well-being of people, especially our elderly and immune compromised and children, very concerned. And as a result of that concern, what I'm able to do is to pay attention to the, the very wise strategy of social distancing, pay attention to my, my movements, my hygiene, practice, teach, share, help in whatever way I can. But beyond that, none of this is in my control. Those are literally the only things I can do. And I've had to come to peace with it. And because I've come to peace with it, I'm not drawn into anxiety each day. It's not that I don't care. It's that I recognize I do care. And I'm doing everything I can because I care. And beyond that, I have to let go. And since I do have a profound belief in the creative consciousness of the universe that some people call God, other people call the quantum field, and every name in between those two ideas. I have a profound sense that we are being guided and I believe that it is ultimately benevolent and I live in that understanding. And so I'm not going to engage at that same level of fear, anxiety and intensity as I, as I hear some folks doing. And that is not a judgment of those people. It's just a decision on my part, it, 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 it's, it's three words for me, not my preference. And that's it. And that's all I need to know. Not my preference. It's not a judgment. It's not, oh, I'm right. Someone else is wrong. No, I'm having my experience. You're having your experience. I get it. I, I just choose this experience. And that's, that's all I can do. That's all any of us can do. Yeah, I like that. Not my preference. I want to ask you one more question and then we're going to we'll wrap up with what I call the five key takeaways. And this will be the five key takeaways quarantine edition. But I want to ask you a question first because this is a podcast that I conceived for men. We have a lot of women listening. I want to talk for a moment in this last question about that part of us that thinks, look, I got to do this by myself. It's on my shoulders. I got to get me and us through this. Like I have to do it alone. You know, that kind of lone wolf, like they're alone or going it alone. Don't have, a lot of us still don't have, you know, the father figure that we can look up to for wisdom. And so, you know, we tend to look to celebrities or politicians who 
just don't know what the fuck they're talking about either. And I'm curious, Tommy, for men listening out there, perhaps even for their partners that might be listening to this, that are with a man or know a man, maybe have a brother or somebody who's still in that kind of mindset of that old paradigm of, I got to get through this myself. I'm on my own. Or they're isolating. I mean, geez, you know, the whole social distancing, what a terrible choice of words. Physical distancing has sort of been the, the rallying cry. Let's physical distance, but not socially distance. But I'm curious, what would you say? What wisdom could you offer in the face of that inclination towards kind of masculine isolating thing? It's simply the idea that we are alone, disconnected, or an island unto ourselves is a misunderstanding. It's simply not the truth. Everything is connected to somebody else. And if you don't understand that, here's just an example. You aren't here without your mother and father. You aren't here without that. So if nothing else, your entire existence was dependent upon actions that at least two other people took. It doesn't make a difference. You've been influenced. So nothing is ever done alone. It's just, we're all in this together. And the quicker that we understand it, and the quicker that we can really tap into our own personal piece of divinity, our own personal piece of strength, our personal empowerment, and be able to serve the collective from that place, I think the better things will be for all of us. Um, but the Lone Ranger concept, I mean, there, there, there may be exercises that we need to do without other people around. Your solitude, your aloneness, is one of the most important things that you can cultivate. But in your aloneness, you have to understand that you may feel alone in a good way, like I'm unto myself in this moment. But in the greater sense, it's just simply not true. What would you encourage a man to do then at this time when, I mean, it's such a unique opportunity to reach out, to reconnect. I was talking to a friend yesterday and just asking him about, it was a friend I hadn't talked to in a while. And what's fun about this is like you know, reconnecting with old, old friends and haven't talked to in a while. And, and I asked him about his brother because I knew they used to be close. He's like, oh yeah, no, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I was like, oh really? Well, that's interesting. He's your brother. Again, I just know there's so many men that I've, I've worked with, that I've known, that I've been myself, that man who just, I don't know, there's, it's like just picking up the phone and saying hello is hard. What do you recommend? Inquire within. So the exercise is, if you want to work on building more connection with people, if you feel like you're isolated, or you feel that life could be more joyful if you were more connected to certain people, and you're hesitant to reach out to people, or let's say you're in trouble and you actually need help or guidance, or maybe you're not in trouble, but you just need direction, but you're hesitating. The inquiry is, first you have to notice, oh, I'm hesitating. Somewhere in my mind, I think it'd be a good idea to call my brother. Somewhere else in my mind, I've got real resistance to that. Okay, why? This is an inquiry. Without this kind of self-inquiry, you'll just stay in the unknown. It's, you'll stay in ignorance, and I don't mean that as an insult, it means you're ignoring something. Mm-hmm. You'll be in ignorance. Like resistance is just, it'll just exist. It continues to exist. It'll just be there, but you might not even notice it. Right, yeah. But at some point, things get uncomfortable. Yeah. Or maybe somebody like you says to your friend, wow, 
How long has it been since yeah. you have to <laughs> you know, and, and you bring it up to someone's mind. That's right. And maybe it's been in the subconscious for right. a year. Oh, I haven't really called my brother in a year. Why not? Well, to be perfectly honest, if I'm thinking about it, because we had a really nasty fight a year ago. And I don't like the feeling of being around my brother. And that's not the full truth. So you have to inquire. And you have to go down this road of understanding your decisions with regards to drawing away from other people, not asking for help when you need it. Maybe you don't feel safe asking someone for help because maybe they're not the right place to go. Well, then that means that you have to start to actively seek out direction, safety. Like, you know, I go to 12-step meetings uh, sometimes and I used to go quite a bit. There were some 12-step meetings where I felt not so much like sharing. Just felt I didn't know people so well or it felt a little uncomfortable and and then I'd get to other 12-step meetings where maybe I knew a few people or something about the vibe in the room, like it just felt better. And I felt safe to share there. And I shared and then maybe speak to a couple people afterward. That was me reaching out into a community of people who I know are actually working on being better people. Now, if I didn't have that community and I'm sort of by myself and I'm like, well, I, God, I, I'd like to stop drinking. This is me. You know? I'd like to stop drinking or... I'd like to stop smoking, smoking pot or, or cigarettes or whatever, but I'm just sort of under myself. I'm just trying to do it and I just keep failing. Obviously, I, I need to reach out to somebody who knows something about that. So I'm being directed. What, what I'm trying to express is I'm being directed by my challenge. My challenge in life shows me where I need to work, where I need to go. So first I have to inquire, why do I keep doing this? It's hurting me. Why do I keep engaging in a behavior that continually brings me to this place of feeling shitty about myself. There's a good questioning there. And that will lead you to hopefully if you're open, humble, willing, that will lead you to asking somebody who knows something about this for help. I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, I realized there's also, there is actually one more question I want to ask before our five key takeaways finale. And it's, again, it's very unique to the moment, but it's uh, curious. You and Kia, I know you spend a lot of time together as it is. You travel all over together, but now here you are in quarantine together. Do you two have any like specific practices to, to navigate the tight space? We have a few unwritten sort of things that we follow. Like rituals almost. Yeah. Rituals and guidelines. Okay. One of them is we each have a practice in the morning. Sometimes we have a similar practice or we'll practice together because we decide to on that day. Mm. But very often we have different practices. Mm -hmm. She has needs. I have different needs. We respect that. So her practice is sacred to her. My practice is sacred to me. We have to allow each other that, whatever that looks like. If I'm done with my practice, I don't go in and bother her. If she's done with her practice, she, she lets me be until I'm done. We try to get together for a tea ceremony every day. So we have, we have a very high quality tea that we get from a, a wonderful company called Living Tea. Mm -hmm. And we sit across from each other and we pour multiple steepings of some wonderful teas, mm -hmm. whether that's a pu'er from China or an oolong tea or a red tea or whatever it is. And that brings us into connection with each other. Mm -hmm. And... Finally, we take a walk every day. We have to go outside. Not a day will go by where we, we must, must go out in nature. And we don't always do that together. But often we'll take a walk together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, she or I will go out by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Other than that, yeah. I just want to say, when we get into sort of a, a conversation that's, that's difficult for us, 
or there's an energy and, and it's not flowing in the moment. Yeah. We've given up the idea of having to fix that. And we just allow things to be for a little while. We go to our corners and then we come back and just sort of be around each other without forcing yeah. anything. Yeah. And I've had to learn that really the hard way for the last 20 years in this relationship. <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's really important because, you know, I want to fix things right away. Right. Yeah. And Kia is much more introspective, much more meditative in her approach than I am. Mm-hmm. And so she might sort something out in her meditation. For me, the communicator, that's not good enough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, we, we need to talk it out. <laughs> process it out loud. Let's get to throw it, dump it out all on the table and let's sort through yeah. it. <laughs> and she's willing, uh-huh. but maybe not right away. Yeah. So I need to allow that process also. And, and yeah. she also has to recognize that I'm also the way I am. Right, right. Totally. And we, at the end of any given day, we have to tell each other, you know, we're so blessed. Yeah. I love you. I recognize how blessed we are and what a great day. And, yeah. and, and let's rest well and do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. That's right. Gratitude, gratefulness for what we have. Let's do it again tomorrow. Tommy, fantastic, man. We're not done just yet. We're going to wrap up with the five key takeaways, quarantine edition. Key takeaway number one is a key insight. And remember, this is the quarantine edition. What's the one key insight you would offer our listeners that can help them make the most of this fascinating pandemic moment? Meditate. End of the story. Learn a meditation practice right away, today, right now, if you don't already have one, learn a simple meditation practice and then do it as a practice, do it at least one time every single day, yeah. preferably in the morning. Okay, beautiful. And, and uh, I, I meditate every morning as well, at least 10 minutes, sometimes as much as 30, usually silent, uh, but sometimes guided. You Once or twice a week, I'll do a guided meditation and it is game changing. If I don't do it, my day feels viscerally different in a way that I don't like. I'm on board with that. Absolutely. Key takeaway number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, whose teachings or mentoring is serving you powerfully in navigating this particular moment. There are four. Can't mention one without the other. I got it. First and foremost, Guru Prem. Guru Prem Singh Khalsa my life teacher, mentor, guide, just a special human being that I was so fortunate to come across in my life. Guru Singh, incredible human being, sees the universe, the multiverse in ways that very few do. Mm. And I've been so blessed and so grateful to know him as well. Swami Chidanan Saraswati Ji, Pujya Swami Ji as we call him, who is in India holding it down at the Parmarth Nikitan Ashram in Rishikesh. His example of service, his guidance, his love and his presence, all that he does in the world cannot be put into words how much of an influence it's been on me. And last but surely not least, Anand Mirotra. Um, Dear Anand, one of the most wonderful teachers, such a wise and caring man, and I've been so uplifted and so blessed by his, his wisdom and his counsel and his teachings. And there are so, so, so many others. And Ted Danson. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay, number three, key resource. Your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year that you recommend for quarantine digestion. Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Oh, yeah. When I read read that book the first time, Mm -hmm. and there have been multiple revisits to it, I just feel that it, to me, it's, it's what's called Vedanta. 
What I mean by Vedanta is there's nowhere to go from there. That's it. If you can grasp the ideas in that book, then you're there. Yeah. You, if you can experience that reality that is expressed in those pages, there's nowhere you, else you need to go. It's funny. When I read that book back in, gosh, it would have been like, what, 2008 or so when it came out? Seven, eight, something like six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. That is an epic, great, great suggestion. Number four, key investment in the last year. What's the best thing that you spent money on? And let's say under $1,000 that you're now grateful for, especially given our current circumstances. I would have to say the production studio, which I've set up that I'm sitting in right now, mm. that that investment of money to get these lights and a few things that allow me to communicate from here is, well, look what's happened is yeah. I'm quarantined to here but I can still communicate. And it has just made such an enormous difference in my life. There are many, many other things that yeah, I can name, but yeah, yeah. that's the first one that comes to my mind. And the fifth one you've actually already answered. It's the, it's the key practice. Something you challenge our listeners to take on for the next seven days. I'll give you another one. We put together a completely free, no strings attached whatsoever program called the 14 day morning practice challenge. Great. All you have to do is go to morningpractice.com. Oh, that's good. Sign up for the 14-day challenge. There's no barrier to entry. You'll get an email every day with a video from me, and we'll send you one practice that you do every morning, same practice, every morning for the 14 days. The practice itself is 16 minutes long. That's one six. Amazing. That's great. 16 minutes long. I challenge everyone watching or listening to this to the 14-day morning practice challenge. Do that. Okay. I love it. It's wonderful. And again, so that's morningpractice.com. And of course, again, this will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. Everything will be in the show notes, including those four names and Ted Danson and links to all of them and, and all, all that stuff. So Tommy, finally, man, you've given a few websites already, but where would you want our listeners to go to learn more about you? So again, that morningpractice.com is a great place to start with what we offer. If you do take that, we will be in touch with you. To understand what Recovery 2.0 is and all the offerings that we have, just go to r20.com. And I'm very well aware we didn't even begin to talk about that subject, which is something I would really like to talk to you about in another conversation. We've spoken about it in a roundabout way. We, we have. And I believe, you know, I grew up with a parent addiction, parental addiction, the child of, of alcoholism. And my stepfather is now 28 years in, in sober. It's amazing. I know there's a profound conversation to be had there, and I'd love to have it with you at another time. Happy to do it. Tommy Rosenman, thank you so much, brother. I'm so grateful for this time with you. Thank you. Much love, Brian. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to my friend, Tommy Rosen. You can find Tommy at morningpractice.com or r20.com. And of course, all links and resources, as well as Tommy's five, really four, but now five key takeaways will be in the show notes. They're always in the show notes. Anything you need, you can find in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way 
podcast. And also for a limited time and particularly during this pandemic experience, all of my online programs that I created with my partner or by myself, they're all on massive discount sale from the conflict to connection 90 day couples program. It's a 90 day program, but you keep access forever. Just to be clear that program to my beloved love sex relationship magic course, which is great for individuals, single or coupled who are ready to learn the fundamentals to creating a thriving, sexy, deeply fulfilling, intimate relationship. Things that sadly you'll never learn in school. I should, but you won't. Or in a therapist's office, or even in most books on relationships, which is kind of weird. But that, the Love Sex Relationship Magic program, and also the Boundaries program. Relationships suck without boundaries, and they do. I know from personal experience. All three courses are on sale during this pandemic details are on each individual course information page on my website brianreeves.com and if you go there and you find no sale happening at the moment well as a men this way listener you get 10 percent off of every course anyway just enter the coupon code men this way 10 on any checkout page And I'm also offering various free offerings and live weekly broadcasts. So be sure to subscribe to my email list or find me on Instagram or Facebook to stay updated on all that. Finally, if you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or even better, perhaps just write a review so that you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.